0: Mistakes were made. I blame society. You're listening to the podcast, So There I Was. It's how every great aviation tale begins. Show number 23.
1: 23?
0: Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Nowhere to go, right? Nowhere to go but up, baby.
1: But up. Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> what a great story.
0: We got joined by Double L on this one. He was absolutely great another another wonderful guest uh fig we've flown with all these professionals in our careers and who knew how many would be great raconteurs as well but uh, i know well you know
1: you know and i know when you're sitting in the cockpit in a dark night and you're trying to stay awake and you guys start you guys start telling stories you hear the best stories and you come to find
0: out everybody
1: every pilot you ever fly with has a great story you just got to get them talking
0: right absolutely absolutely <laughs> so
1: well and double l started talking today we 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 asked him questions got him going and
0: he did some crazy stuff oh. and not combat stuff that was just cra- the crazy stuff he did was flying firefighters right fight,
1: <laughs> fight. Uh, fighting fires with a giant yeah. airplane yeah dropping Dumping stuff uh, out of there yeah Dropping, was it MAFs? I forgot what MAF stands for. Mo- Mobile Air Firefighting System. Something, something like that. that. <laughs> but Yeah, it dropping
0: 35,000 pounds of firefighting foam out of the back of the aircraft and onto fires flying down low in the valleys when it's hot and nasty and visibility's poor okay. and the airplane's heavy and slow. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah.
1: I think his comment was, uh, those missions were more dangerous than flying combat, which he did on multiple occasions. Uh, he did that planes. as well, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so, and he
0: told us a story in there about getting to Afghanistan, and how that's where we get the title of the show. So, just listen and enjoy as we get into episode twenty-three. Twenty-three. Nowhere to go but up. Enjoy. Every great aviation tale begins. Greetings, folks, and welcome to there. I, so There I Was. Now, I can't even say the name of the show, so I'm quickly going to hand it over to my co host Fig. Fig, where are you at today?
1: Well, I'm in sunny Kearney, Missouri today. Sunny, 61 degrees, and I'm glad to be here, but I'm really happy to introduce our guest today. Personal friend of mine, also uh, aviator extraordinaire, double L. Welcome, Double L. Indeed, welcome.
2: Thanks, guys. It, uh, I can't believe you invited me. Why would anybody invite me to anything? It's uh, kind of interesting, but
0: I really appreciate it. Well, it's because of the cash you floated us. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to fly. <laughs> there you go. Money, so money makes fl- the world go round. There uh, you go. Speaking of flying, word is that uh, you have flown an airplane or two in your time. How is it you became interested in flying?
2: You know, yeah. I had the fortunate uh, luck of being born to an air, the son of an airline pilot, the nephew of an airline pilot, the godson of an airline pilot. Uh, the um, all my father's and uncle's friends were pilots, and uh, basically, I wasn't smart enough to do anything else. So this was pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> Got the monkey skills, so you can do uh, I walked into a cockpit when I was five years old and went, yep, this is is what I'm going to do. And then my poor wife tortures me on a regular basis. Not everyone gets to know what they do when they're five.
1: Well, I I hear that a lot too. So don't feel like the Lone Ranger.
2: Well, I hear that from a lot of pilots. We all knew early. Uh, I don't know about anybody else or any other profession, but this seems to be the one where people figured it out pretty early. So.
1: You know, there, there's occasionally, we, we occasionally, well, like a uh, father, we had father, uh, yeah. on a, a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was two episodes ago. And yeah. he, uh, he, he didn't even, he never had an inkling, uh, he was going to uh, be a pilot or even wanted to fly till he, uh, his college roommate talked him in and taking a ROTC at all the, Well R- taking the, you know, AQT FAR
0: and all that the funny thing was he passed the test that the roommate didn't so he wound up flying uh eagles in the don't you hate those guys (laughs) they
1: show
2: up they never had an airplane ride in their life and they're going upside down and they're pulling all over the place and you're like how'd you figure this out man they're like well yeah yeah, i don't know Looked pretty
1: easy to me he was (laughs) a natural because the guy's a natural Uh, he's a great storyteller so uh was was indeed all right, so uh we uh so we know, but let's let's go let's go down this road. So how did you uh how did you go about your flying? How did you get into the flying? What did you fly? That sort of thing.
2: Uh let's see, to start, uh, you know, I grew up in Southern California and um I went to the local airport my father kind of pointed me in the direction, found a flight instructor and started working on my private from there. He kind of helped me and pointed me in the right direction. And they said, If you want anything more after that, you're on your own. So as soon as as uh, soon as my first lesson, I fell in love with it immediately. And I basically diverted every ounce of money I had towards uh, gas and airplane rentals and flight instruction. And uh, by the time I got to be about a freshman in college, I was flight instructing full time. I was bartending. I was going to school and I was in the Marine Corps Reserve because I was I wanted to be a Marine Corps fighter pilot. Ever since I was little, also the day I saw the Blue Angels fly at Point Magoo out on the West Coast. So that was kind of uh, how that went. And then uh my goal was to uh was to go off to officer school at Quantico, uh in the PLC Marine Corps PLC program, which I think still exists to this day. Right. And um a friend of my dad's uh who was a Marine C 130 pilot, uh, was flying in a local guard unit. So uh, he said uh, to me, why don't you come down to the guard and I'll show you what this whole thing's about. So I went down there in my Marine Corps uh, uniform and uh, I kind of toured the base and he took me uh, for a ride in an airplane. Just put me on the crew manifest and boom, off we went. Things were a little looser back then than they were than they are now. (laughs) Right. But uh, so we flew over to Palmdale out of Van Nuys when they were still at Van Nuys, and uh, I was I was said uh, that that was all the motivation I needed. I said I'm going to do an inter service transfer out of the Marine Corps, get in the Guard, and the Guard basically said to me, "Uh, "If you show up here, we'll send you to pilot training." So a year later, I uh, I was now in the Guard full time uh And uh, I met the pilot selection board again, and they selected me, and off I went to Columbus, Mississippi, fly the lovely six thousand pound dog whistle tweet in the thirty eight which I loved to this day graduated, went to c one thirty school, came back, and flew there for twenty six seven twenty six years nice and then okay. uh I was told i couldn't I was not allowed to have fun anymore, so I had to retire
0: I hate <laughs> when that happens tell you i would. I've got several questions queued up. Go ahead, yeah, Ryan. Right. I was just going to touch on the whole on the whole guard thing. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm proud of being a Marine officer and a Marine pilot, and I loved it, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. That being said, had I known then Wait. what I know now, repeat would have been a guard pilot. I, <laughs> Crawling yeah. through mud, getting yelled at. I didn't really know what
1: the guard was, <laughs> no. what it was all about. No. You know. Well, guy. it was
2: funny. I, I show up in pilot training, you know, and there we are in Columbus and we're in the classroom uh, and we're, we're going through it and the instructors are like, where are you from? What are you doing? And most of, I had a class of like 40 guys. We split it in half. And so the 20 of us are sitting in the classroom and uh, they, they're they going down the line, you know, who were you from? Where are you from? Uh, ah, for the Air Force Academy. Ah, the Air Force Academy. All these Air Force Academy guys. And they stopped at this one guy, big, tall, absolutely you know, should have been on the cover of GQ magazine, guy with a tan that was unbelievable. He stands up, he goes, "I'm from the Hawaii Guard, and I'm going to fly F-15s." And I thought, okay. I thought, I'm not so sure telling him that you are going to fly F-15s right now is the smartest idea. Maybe we should graduate first. But uh, yeah, the instructor kind of looked at him and goes, "Well, you got to get past me first. And uh, and that, you know, that kind of fired him up. Which which now I think he's a general uh flying f-15s and flying f-35s but all right so then i had uh i had i had him i had me from the california guard i had a guy from uh the Terre haute f-16 unit and a guy from the springfield illinois f-16 unit and everybody else was air force academy guys and the air force academy guys were standing around going let me get this straight you guys come into pilot training and then you're going to go home to your units and fly f-16s and have the same commitment i have where did i go wrong yeah. So I, I've, I've heard that story before, and i, I got to be honest, I, uh, I'm i I'm extremely fortunate to have guidance that I had yeah. a long, long
0: time ago. Because otherwise, I didn't know anything about it either. Who so, hands so. down the best deal in military aviation in the world? Who knew? I, my, I would agree. Opinion. Yes. Yeah. i got a series of questions here.
1: <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so uh, the Blue Angels show that your dad took you to that kind of sealed the deal when you were a kid, yeah. what, were, what were they flying back then? A-4s. Okay. A-4s. Yeah. Uh and that, think- that was
2: that was back during the Reagan administration when off Point Magoo they would actually shoot live missiles into the water during the show. What? Yeah. An A4, a couple F fours would go up and they do a show and they would fire either their Zuni rockets or something like that into the out water. To the wa- <laughs> out into the water off the of runway two one. Yeah. Oh, and nice. and ever since then, you know, it's gone downhill since then. But uh I mean the yeah. airplanes now just fly. But back then, man, they were shooting stuff and I mean it was pretty amazing. So Coast, well I Coast I
1: remember seeing uh, the Blue Angels sitting on my grandfather's shoulders at Richards Kibeer Air Force Base just south of Kansas City and they were flying F4s.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: That's how I never saw the was. F4
2: guys. Uh and, everybody... and that
1: sealed the deal for me right there. Okay, next question. Uh yeah. so you were a, a Hollywood Marine, obviously. Hollywood Hollywood Guard, Went yeah. to uh, San Diego recruit uh so what's your best memory of uh boot camp? <laughs> Marine Corps recruit training San Diego. What's your best memory?
0: Uh, sit at attention. Will you tell us that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did, I felt I felt this? I, sph- I felt his sphincter I,
1: clinch a little bit. When oh I asked my that. god,
2: dude, that's sometimes it brings back <laughs> nightmares. Um, I remember standing, it was like a Saturday, I think, and um, they had nothing better to do than screw with us so somebody had for 12, either for-
0: straight <laughs> exactly
2: somebody had either forgotten to lock their padlock on their footlocker you remember those days yes, yes. or someone had do- someone had done some infringement that of course required you know capital punishment but i remember standing in all these racks where 90 of us in this platoon at kilo company i remember colonel instructor said portside needs a head call and all of us ran into the bathroom And then he goes, get back to your racks or something like that. And then he goes, starboard side needs a head call. We're all banging into each other as we're going by each other to try to stand at attention. One part of the squad bay is trying to stand at attention. The other part of the squad bay is trying to run into the bathroom. And this looks like a traffic jam that's just banging into each other the whole time. And uh, I do remember also a time where somebody had forgotten to lock their foot. A whole bunch of guys had forgotten to lock their foot locker. And we had had to go out to the drill field to do something. And uh, he took all of the locks and locked them all together. So now it's this huge ball of pad master padlocks all together. And he goes, you have, you have 60 seconds to get your lock. And he throws them in the middle. (laughs) And there's like 30 guys all diving like a, some sort of, you know, some sort of dog pile all on top of each other, trying to get these locks. And I remember standing there thinking, this is the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm actually part of it. And yeah. I thought, Oh my God, these guys are expert torturers. They
1: are, uh, yeah. they are expert. Yeah. And, and the foot lockers weren't emptied all over the content. Yeah. I, yeah all over they, the they were.
2: I think when we came back <laughs> from Chow after lunch, they had uh, the squad bay had looked like a, you know, it had been a robbery. Uh, <laughs> there was stuff, it <laughs> was stuff everywhere. <laughs> uh one more one more thing i remember i remember when we first got there we're all we're all sitting down you know you're in your t-shirt you're in your boxers you know and you're all you're all as they used to say asshole the belly button you're right up against each other and uh one guy uh, he said i'm you're gonna write this down i want you to take notes scribe kind of thing and we're taking notes and it's one guy says raises his hand he goes what (laughs) guy says sir I, i don't have a pencil and he looks right at him he goes well you better shit one and i remember thinking how, how's that gonna work <laughs> 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 i was like this is the funniest fucking place i've ever been in my entire life these, these guys yeah. are fantastic
1: so, so anyway so tell me this and and, and i don't want to put words in your mouth but having yeah. had that experience you know and then uh graduating from boot camp and pinning on the eagle globe and anchor and all that tell me that um When you went to Air Force flight training, that previous (laughs) experience didn't pay all kinds of dividends for you. Oh, huge. Yeah. Actually, the thing that I went to first was I had to go to
2: officer school in the Air Force. And I remember they had, you know, they didn't have, you know, in the Marine Corps, it's not, it's it's hell 12 weeks, right? Uh, (laughs) You know, um, but there it was like hell night. it started at like four (laughs) o'clock and it went to like eight or something. And I had this guy who was going to be a JAG in the uh in the air force uh in the bunk next to me and uh they were screaming at us and screaming at us and I'm just laughing I'm like man you guys are really bad at this <laughs> you need to call the marine corps they're much better at this to be intimidating <laughs> and uh this little short little lawyer guy is like oh my god this is the scariest thing i ever been and i remember looking at him and go you need to reach down and grab your balls cuz this ain't that bad and this guy <laughs> he was like oh you know he's sweating and you know, this, uh, this one air force guy comes up to me and he goes, drop and give me 20. And I remember being a smart ass, which was not smart. And I remember going, really, that's it. That's 20? it. Cause that's in like, the yeah. Marine Corps, you remember the Marine Corps, you know, it's like, huh. uh, all right, drop when I'm tired, you're tired. <laughs> so I remember those days.
1: Yeah. Hey, was, was that, yeah. uh, at McGee Tyson. That was at McGee Tyson in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, but so that was called, uh, uh, it wasn't it was, called officer candidate school. It was office. It, it was, its, uh, uh it was a name for it. Right. It was just guard guys that went there. Oh I my God. It it's, it's, it's hanging right over there on the wall. I'm trying to
2: remember <laughs> what the hell it's called. I can't see it from this distance.
1: It's, 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 uh, something, uh, it AMS. Sounded kind of Academy Se-
2: of military science.
1: That's it. That's it. Sounded it. Kind yeah. of sterile like that. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought that was always kind of funny myself.
2: Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was, it was quite a gentleman's so, so to speak, uh, place it it was not uh it was not crazy difficult as compared to the marine corps
0: so encouraged so you flew the tennis racket for the weekends and
2: right it was pretty mellow on the weekends yeah it wasn't uh it wasn't significantly difficult significant uh,
1: hardship t-37s t-38s yep. right yep what Columbus. Was, uh, did you uh do you have any good T37 student stories or T38? So when stories?
2: I was a when I was a tweet student we were probably uh you know the first 6 weeks is all academics. So uh we go into uh we go into the flying portion probably I don't know maybe 10 flights in and maybe 50, maybe 10 or 12 flights in and the guy who was giving me a check ride was a S- chief of Stanoval at the time. And um you know when you're a lieutenant a captain is uh you know is a senior guy and he'd been in like seven years uh and looking on it look looking where we are now a young cat i'm like dude you're still a child so uh we go out and we're doing uh we're it, it was the first trek riding tweets and i and i have i have forgotten what it's called a contact check i think and uh i was trying to stay in this area this little piece of the pie and i had done a split s and i was getting ready to turn and i heard this subtle voice in my head going turn left i went <laughs> you know maybe i should listen to that <laughs> so instead of turning right i went Whoop, and i turned left and i went back in and uh we finished the check ride and and he said did you hear that turn left thing i never i don't know where that came from and i said well uh, no sir i don't know where it came from but basically he told me later on he goes yeah you're about to fly out of the area i didn't want you to so I just kind of whispered in your ear to go the other way. I was like, "All <laughs> right, perfect." So,
0: and I th- get- found out
2: later he wanted to get into the he wanted to get into the guard. So he was uh, he was just uh-huh. building a
0: building a little reputation repertoire with the, repertoire the guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you had the good sense to deny hearing it. <laughs> I did. I, no, I didn't hear a thing. Don't know I that thought thing. that came from God.
1: I wasn't <laughs> sure. So, can you, uh, in layman's terms? Describe what the chief of Stanoval is for uh, listeners that aren't Air Force guys.
2: So if you, uh, let's say you have a a squadron or a group, right? A squadron is made up of about 105, 110 people, usually pilots some administrators. And if they have other crew positions, they have those too. But um, each, there's an office that represents all of the... uh, all of the things that happen in a squadron. So stand of Alice stands for standardization and evaluation. So they are the people who give check rides. They're also the people who give written and oral uh, tests and they keep all the paperwork. So they're essentially responsible for maintaining the currency and qualification of all of the air crew members in that unit. And they are um, basically, they keep the unit flying and higher headquarters, Air Force somewhere, uh, basically evaluates the Chief of Stanoval. And then the Chief of Stanoval cascades down to evaluate all his evaluators. And then all those evaluators uh, give check rides to all the instructors and all the regular pilots. So uh, the Chief of Stanoval is kind of the head check pilot, sort of. Okay. And that's kind of how that works.
1: Thank you. So so Naval, A- Naval Aviation, it's the NATOPS officer. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. All right, thanks. Perfect. All right, so you got winged in Columbus, went to yep. uh, Little Rock for C-130
0: school. Yep, that took seven months. Oh, my god! So four months Eight. of school all crammed into seven.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Got to love that. I had a really good time in Little Rock. That
0: was fun. So can't complain. Got your handicap down? I did. <laughs> I did. How did I know um,
2: that? <laughs> my liver took a hit, too. So uh, that was... Uh, <laughs> I need, I need some therapy I needed some green juice from California by the time I was done with that because yeah. I needed to have a detox that was rough
1: so you're uh, a guard unit in uh, in California yeah had a uh, besides being a airlift squadron had us another specialized mission you want to talk about that
2: we had a uh, we had a MAFS mission which stands for modular airborne firefighting system um, it was a portable. Firefighting retardant system that was rolled onto the back of the C-130 through the cargo compartment. Um, the dissemination tubes, in other words, where the retardant came out from when I initially got into it, came were two tubes that kind of folded into the back of the airplane. And then, as you got closer to the fire, you would lower the ramp, and these two tubes would now kind of fo- like an elbow arm, sort of, kind of extend out in just below the into the airstream, just below where the ramp ended. And then we would do firefighting for uh three separate federal agencies we did it for the forest service we did it for cal fire which has its own state firefighting uh department and we did it for uh blm bureau of land management as well as bureau of indian affairs so i guess that would be four um it was a it was a program that was developed in 72 after a whole bunch of huge forest fires uh destroyed a bunch of buildings on dod land so the secretary of the Air Force and the Department and the Secretary of Defense at that time said we needed uh, autonomous aerial firefighting capability because at that time they were using like B-17s and B-25s and all this old World war war two mm-hmm. stuff. And it was contracted to the Department of Agriculture for use. And they they used them, you know, as needed. And uh, so they built this, they built this unit. Uh, that would roll into these um, Air National Guard C-130s, and there were three Air National Guard units and one Air Force Reserve unit. That Air Force Reserve unit being in Colorado Springs. The other units at the time were uh, California, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and Wyoming, Cheyenne, Wyoming. They were all principally based uh, wherever fire, fi- you know, fires were prevalent. And North Carolina had it because there were a lot of fires at the time in, in, in the Carolina mountains, as well as in Florida. Um, after, I think the 2012 accident, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, eventually, I, I don't remember what year, but they went to C-17. So they lost their firefighting mission, went to Reno. So now Reno does it. But essentially um, our job was to, anytime we got called out and it was after all civilian assets were utilized... So basically they were exhausted and the fires were still too big. They called the military and we basically showed up and we uh, worked for, in, we worked in concert with a U.S. forest service, BLM Bureau of Indian affairs, Cal fire commander. And then uh, we kind of went from there and just flew missions. They told us to hit fires. And usually they were pretty big. Um, we, you know, we, we fought fires in Colorado, Wyoming, south dakota north dakota idaho washington oregon california nevada arizona new mexico and after you know i don't know 19 years of doing it and over 600 aerial firefighting drops you kind of after a while you just forget what state you're in you're just like go hit the target so
0: <laughs> that's kind of kind of how it ever goes. tell you that that sounds dangerous i mean you've got to, you're flying low and heavy
2: as a matter of fact, there's uh, a lot of smoke. there's it's probably it, hot. <laughs> it's a very dangerous mission. Yeah, more dangerous oh, than man. combat. Uh, yeah. Most guys have said. Um, we had a really, really good safety record up until July 1st, 2012 uh, when MAF-7, which was uh, a Charlotte airplane, uh, hit a microburst. Fully loaded, uh, max gross weight uh, at only... 120 knots. I I don't remember what the accident report said, but basically they had a microburst and drove the airplane into the ground. Yeah, they so, they were
1: down they were down low, about to drop a do an airdrop, do. A they were they were airplane. only
2: about 200 yeah. feet above the ground when this hole happened, so there was no recovery. Uh, the airplane landed flat, hit the ground flat. Uh, they ran into the air, the, both wings came off. The airplane slid and ran into a grouping of trees, and then the front end crew was killed by the crushing injuries. Uh, the back end crew, the tail came off. And uh, the back-end crew, both loadmasters, I think one loadmaster, load I think something like, if I remember correctly, broke a pelvis, broke back, something like that. The other loadmaster was completely fine, not a scratch. And he walked wow. out of the wreckage and called uh, MAPS operations and said, we just crashed on a cell phone. So uh,
0: it, it was a pretty good- to it, show you that yeah. when it's your time, there's nothing you to do about it and when it's your yeah. not not your time there's not much you can do about that either
2: yeah it it was a bad deal i knew the aircraft commander pretty well uh he was a great guy I left a couple kids uh we we swapped out in afghanistan in 2011 um and it was a tr- it was a it was a total tragedy to the whole community so uh when they first built the units uh they named them or they numbered them so that each unit got the same numbers so the numbers on the side of the airplane are not really the numbers of of the airplane they're the numbers of the units inside the airplane so california has four and six uh i think colorado springs has five and two if i remember i can't i can't remember the completely
1: units inside the airplane you're talking about yeah. the firefighting unit they roll on right
2: correct yeah that's what you're so talking. okay that so they made eight
1: of them uh and they gave two to
2: every unit so they gave two to charlotte two to california two to or uh, uh cheyenne and two to uh Colorado Springs. 18. And, and Charlotte owned math seven. And that's the one that crashed. So math seven, the meant the, the number was retired. And now we have up now we have one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, eight and nine. So
1: seven doesn't exist anymore. Can you uh, describe how that system works and
0: how much, how much comes out and, and how long, yeah, it how much, takes how and... much do you carry and how do they, <clears throat> yeah. how long does it take to load and, and what does the typical mission look like? I, I guess, start to finish, uh, you've got a fire to go drop on. How did, who decides where, what point of the fire you hit and all that. Give us the details.
2: Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot of questions for, okay. One so, at a time in order. <clears throat> so the way it works is, uh, is, uh, the National Interagency Fire Center in Boise, Idaho, um, says, okay, we have, we're, we're out of airplanes. We need more airplanes. So activate the MAPS guys. So they go to the, they go to the DOD and the DOD says, okay, we'll activate, uh, how many do you need? And they said, we need four, we need eight. Uh, they don't have to all go at the same time. Um, but as, as fires seem to be getting worse, as we seem to be getting older, for some reason, it seems like they activate them all at once. So, uh, I mean, I've been out of the out of the system now for almost six years. So uh, how the the intricate details of how it works and how they're deployed is can, you know, it's probably changed a couple of times since then. But at the time, uh, they we were activated usually with about a 24 to 48 hour notice. Hey, you guys got to spin up, get your crews, load the MAPS units in the back of the airplane. And then go to X place, and a lot of times for California, we would go to McClellan, which is home of the Cal, of Cal Fire, I think, for heavy maintenance, as well as they got some tanker bases up there. So anyway, so we would we would we we so phone calls would start to be made uh, to all the pilots and all the loadmasters in the unit. Hey, can you go now? Can you go then? And we would start to balance those schedules with, you know pilots who flew for airlines, pilots who were FBI agents, pilots who were cops, pilots who were firemen.
1: Well, you know, cause we're a, we're a, uh, guard, unit. You're a, guard, uh, unit. a guard unit. So everyone's hey, got
2: other jobs, right? Can, so
1: can I, can I stop you right there and ask you a quick question? Yeah. So how, how many of your, uh, of your crews were maths qualified, like percentage wise?
2: Only about
1: 60%. Okay. And so you got 60% of your crews are maths qualified. And and when fire season started, did so you guys didn't you guys didn't put a set to a couple crews on orders during fire season or you just have guys on alert or or like you're saying you had to make phone calls.
2: No, How'd we had work? to make phone calls usually well, at least when I was doing it. I don't know about now, but back then, you know, there was, you know, the whole sequestration under Obama and a whole bunch of other, you know, everything's about money. Right. right. We're saving money. We're not doing so uh back then we would just make phone calls and usually the people who worked at the base full time were the first people to go because everybody all the technicians all the agrs they were the first people out the door and that was to kind of get them on the road and then all the traditional you know uh people who had civilian jobs would roll in a week later and and fulfill all those positions send all the all the full-time guys back home so So anyway, so the the unit itself, it takes about, uh, I'm going to go with three hours to install only because they got to pull it out of the hangar. They got to put it in the back of the airplane. Now it's a singular tank. You can go on Google and take a look at it. And uh, uh, it has a dissemination tube. So a tube that comes out of this large 4,000 gallon tank that sits in the airplane. It also has its own self-contained compressor Because you can't, you know, without compressed air in there, nothing's coming out, right? It's just going to dribble out. So it's got to put, it's got to force that stuff out to pressurize. So the dissemination tube kind of comes out the back. It makes a, if you're looking at it from above, it makes a right-hand turn. and goes out the aircraft commander pilot's paratroop door. So on the left side of the airplane, and then it makes another, right 90 degree right turn, although it's much more subtle than just an exact 90 degree turn. And it's stream now it streamlines the fuselage uh, and that's how the retardant exits the tank. There's a trigger in the cockpit that looks kind of like a stick with a little trigger on it. You know, it's like a gun trigger sort of. So what happens is inside the dissemination tube is a valve that you can open and close however much you want with that trigger. Being that the 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 more you press the trigger, right, you're going to exhaust all that all that pressured air to push it out. That's how that works. So we take off, and usually I think we restricted it to thirty five hundred gallons. We didn't fill it all the way up to four thousand. But you're talking ten pounds a gallon for fire retardant. It's not the same as fuel, so you're talking thirty five thousand pounds plus fifteen thousand pounds for the unit itself. So it's fifty thousand pounds of weight in the back of the airplane. Wow, that's a lot. It's pretty. It's pretty heavy. So even with the J model, it's pretty heavy. So then you take off, you go to a fire and you go to the fire that NIFC or NIFC, the National Interagency Fire Center, or they kind of give you the orders. It goes, you guys are going to go to Oregon and you're going to fight this fire, you know, near Klamath Falls. And this is your lead plane call sign. This is uh, the coordinates of the fire. So as you're cruising along, you're probably, let's say 10 minutes out, 20 minutes out, you call the lead plane. And the lead plane says, OK, uh, I'm doing a drop with another C-130 or one of those kc 10 or one of those DC-10s. Just This is where we are. And then you go find them visually and you kind of stack on top, right? So now if I'm flying on the left-hand side of the airplane, I can look down to my left and I can see both the lead plane and I can see the other tanker that's going to drop. So now I have a sense of where this drop is going to go. I can watch how they do it. I can where the start point is and the stop point. So Uh, once the other tanker breaks off and he goes on his way, now I fall in behind the lead plane, which is about 500 feet away, roughly the lead plane has a smoke generator. He can push a button and the smoke comes out to tell, to describe start and stop points to me. So now he gives me a description of the terrain where he wants to put it. And as you roll in behind the lead plane, you give him, uh, you give him, um, Uh, updates on, Hey, you're going too fast. You're going too slow. Or a lot of times what we do is we drop about 120 knots, roughly flaps hundred. If we're going downhill, which is flaps full in any other airplane or flaps 50, which is about 15 degrees of flaps for a Boeing guy. As soon as he gives us all those descriptions, uh, we fly that. And as soon as I got the line and the target, the start and the stop point, I don't need him anymore. So I'm like, you can just go away. You can run away from me, just accelerate and go away. As soon as he starts the smoke, we push the button out. Most of the time it all goes out. So all 30,000 pounds, 35,000 pounds of it all leaves the airplane in about six seconds. Wow. And then we go back to the tanker base and we reload and uh, we repressurize because the compressor on the airplane doesn't make uh, compressed air as fast as the compressor at the base. So we can get air from either the onboard compressor or the one on the base and then we, the whole thing can take eh, ten minutes, probably fifteen minutes to get.
0: Their turnaround time? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I expected it to be much longer than that. But.
2: You, if you need gas, it's now thirty. But uh, we usually take at least uh, gas enough. You got to keep, you know, ten, you got to keep gas in the outboards to keep the wings from bending up. So uh, we usually take. You got to bounce away, I don't know twenty five thousand pounds of fuel. So it depends on how far the fire is away. I I, I fought a fire in two thousand six uh, in Boise. The fire was literally, you could look out the window and see it coming down the hill at the airport. So we would take off, we'd hit the fire, we'd come back and land. And we did 17 drops in one day that day.
0: Wow. wow, That's awesome. I was really, really freaking tired. <laughs> I was going to say at the end of the day there, you're kind of feeling a little was, bit rough.
2: So. Yeah. Dinner was like 10 o'clock at night and it was a, yeah, it was a rough day.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'd just What's like to touch sport? on one thing real quickly that, that you mentioned in passing. For the non-aviators, when you talked about keeping fuel on the outboards, most airplanes, their wings are the fuel tank, and yeah. so by putting fuel in the outboard, meaning the furthest away from the body of the airplane, you're putting more weight out at the wingtips. And as you said, you've got a heavy airplane. As you as you load up that airplane with G's, it's going to start bending the wings up. If you ha- and especially with with a heavy a heavy fuselage in the airplane, yeah. so by having lots of fuel in the outboards, it kind of counteracts that, uh, that moment arm of uh, of pressure that the weight of the airplane would otherwise create sorry for that brief description interruption <laughs> you may continue with the broadcast so
1: um you, you aroused me when you gave I, that description it of was buddy. it was uh wow aerodynamics, <laughs> man easy, <laughs> easy
2: lads easy you throw in cornering speed in there and i
1: might right. get uh, i might get really okay bad. that's too uh, much uh, <laughs> that's it that's it holy shit fighter uh, guys now we're talking cornering speed uh, Woo!
2: so um uh what was i gonna say so uh, you could do that uh, you know you'd do that for a week maybe two um you go on youtube and type in maths, and you can see some of the stuff that they do and you know there have been a couple of times where i have gone down in a valley and i went man this is a really bad idea i need to get out of here in a hurry uh i remember one time we went down this valley in idaho and i i was supposed to drop along the downside of this slope so the downs so the, it was sloping from the left to the right and as I was going by, I kept thinking, uh, this is really a bad idea. You know, you get that little hook, that little thing in the back of your mind. And as I came around this corner to do this drop, this entire set of trees was on fire. And as we went by it, I could feel the heat as I in my window as I went by. And I remember doing the drop and I remember going home going, yeah, I'm too old for this shit, man. Yeah, yeah again, my, my wife, that was dumb. <laughs> I never should have done that. Yeah, all of us have done imagine. really dumb things in airplanes that we have thankfully survived. But, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, that Hell wasn't yeah. too smart, but. So you, you alluded, uh, you alluded to combat. You said, yeah. uh, I, I think I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I think you said something about the math mission was, uh, was probably more dangerous than the combat. And I know for a fact, uh, we, we've had, we had some, uh, we had some overlap or actually, I, I think you, you guys replaced us in Afghanistan. So tell how many, uh, deployment combat deployments did you go on? Uh, four. Uh,
2: yeah. Uh, uh, uh the, the deed, uh, two, one to the one value deed, uh, at the beginning of the war in 2003, I went and then, uh, three to Afghanistan.
1: To ba- all yeah. the Bagram. Yeah. All the, all the Bagram. Yeah. That's yeah. where, that's where all my Afghanistan flying was. Uh, do you have, do you have any, uh, good, uh, bagram bagram stories uh, afghanistan f- uh, flying mission stories because uh, uh you know that's...
2: i got i got one thank god this general's retired uh awesome i, I don't
1: know that it sounds seems retired. good already i don't know <laughs> it's gonna i like awesome. the way i like where this is going already so, so i went the, was. in
2: 2011 I, I was assigned to be the squadron commander and my first thought was i don't want to be the squadron commander i just want to be flying guy right yeah, squadron cool commander guy. has to has to work and go to meetings and has to set the example. And I'm like, man, I just want to fly. Uh, and we got there in July. We were coming home at Thanksgiving.
1: And Wait, uh, the, what year is this? 11? 2011. Yeah. So okay, it was uh yeah, yeah, I left in February of 11.
2: Yeah. So the 10, I got there in July. So we replaced, uh, we had, uh, I think Buffalo. That was a busy, was a busy time. Uh, yes, it was very, yeah. We were flying 10 lines a day with 10 airplanes yeah. and the J, the problem with the J model and we would deploy with Rhode Island. Uh, the problem with the J models has composite props, so all those fields in Afghanistan are, you know, it's like the first 600 feet is plank steel plating uh, underneath aggregate. And after that, it's all gravel. So you hit that gravel, one of those little rocks comes up from the nose gear and it goes through the prop and the whole, you know, the whole thing's toast. So now you got to pull the whole prop assembly off. You got to replace one blade. You got to bounce You got to stick it back on. Well, that didn't exist in Afghanistan. That only existed in, in Dallas. Uh, in Fort Worth, uh, I think. So anyway, but, uh, we, so it, it, it was difficult, but I didn't want to be the squadron commander, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. So off we go and, uh, we get there and I'm replacing this unit that has been the buffoonery unit of all time. These guys couldn't stop for the lack of, for the lack yeah. of a better term, they could not stop stepping on their dicks. Right. They had cleats on (laughs) when they were doing it. It was so bad. (laughs) So I get there and uh, I meet the outgoing squadron commander and he's like, man, this has been the worst deployment of my life. I'm like, what is he telling me all the shit that's going on? And, and I just don't think he had a handle on it, but so he introduces me to the new OG (laughs) and the new wing commander and the, the wing commander uh, uh, eventually became a three-star in the air force, but he was a former Thunderbird and, and he, he turned out to be a really good guy as long as like all generals, as long as he didn't screw up anyway, but the OG his call sign was, can I say his call sign? Sure. That
1: call signs are good.
2: Sure. Yeah, his absolutely. call sign was nitro. And I found out later it was cause he was explosive. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's an Oh six and he gets this, he gets this gig in Afghanistan. He's a Viper guy. And the great thing about Bagram was they had all those fighters on the Eastern side of the field. Right. And all the C one thirties on the West side. And if you were not a fighter guy and the OG was a fighter guy, he did not give two shits about you. Right. He's That's like, right. I don't know anything about C one thirties, whatever you just do, whatever you do. <laughs> so, um, so I'm there like five days and nitro sits me down and chews my ass. And I'm like, uh, I just got I, here. I just got here. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on, <laughs> right? So awesome. he proceeds to tell me all the things that this last unit did. And he's been flying F-16s for 20 years. He doesn't want to have anything to do with C-130s, right? So he just thinks we're all a bunch of uh, characters from the show MASH. So I go back and I tell all the guys, I go, look, here's the great part is we're in the cellar. So we got no place to go but up. So nobody screws up the great and the great part about the J is it got PIs, uh, a point of impact drops all within 25 meters of the of the intended target all the time, which was a perfect bomb drop for us. So it wasn't really a big deal. So anyway, so we've been there. We, we were supposed to be there four months. So I'm there probably. I'm there that this is the end of the third month, right? And I, I tried to the, the first month. Uh, I didn't fly at all. Cause I had so much going on. I had the meetings I had the wing stand-up meeting and all this other stuff.
1: You're trying to figure it out too. You're trying, trying to, to figure it out then, right? Yeah. So
2: now I've been there about three months and I'm kind of like, okay, this is cool. So all the command staff flew on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I'm like, well, fuck it. I'll fly on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Right. So all of our airdrops happened first thing in the morning. And we always had two or three lines of airdrops in the morning. And this was like, take off at like three in the morning. Right. And go out to some uh, fob somewhere and drop right at sunrise. Because they didn't shoot at you at sunrise, because they were asleep. So yeah. Anyway, so I, uh, uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty comfortable in my position, and I'm having a really good time, and I'm flying with a with another guy, another uh, the other airplane. We're gonna do this in formation. The other airplane uh, aircraft commander was great. He was he was pretty much he was uh, he was very agreeable to whatever I wanted to do. So uh, whether it was a good idea or a bad idea. <laughs> So anyway, so we take off, we go do this airdrop. It's, uh, it's early in the morning and we're going to come back and we're going to refuel and re and, and put a whole nother airdrop on and go out and do one more airdrop. We'll be done by like 10 o'clock in the morning. So we're coming back and, and, uh, and I was number two. Uh, and I said to the guy who was flying the other plane, I go, okay, we're going to come up in formation. We're going to roll into the break. And, And then we'll land. Well, I decided that I was pulling my Thunderbird arrival and I was, dude, I was in fingertip, man. I was as tight as you could get in a Herc. And so we come up initial, we roll into the break. I do the break and I land and I park and the soft meets me in the truck. And I'm like, Oh, this isn't a good idea. Cause he was one lazy slacker, man. There was no way you were getting out of him, (laughs) getting him out of hops. So if he showed up, I knew things were bad. So he comes out and he goes, Hey, the general saw your formation in your break. He wants to see you in his office right now. And I'm thinking, fuck, oh, I'm going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I get back into ops. I call over to his wing exec and he says, No, sir, he'll talk to you at the wing stand-up tonight. I'm like, okay, good. So now I have to sweat all day. I'm like, oh, I'm so screwed. Right. So anyway, so I show up at the at the wing meeting. And, uh, I'm standing there and we all get there early, you know, and the, the, the vice wing commander walks in and then the OG walks in and he sees me. He's got this huge smile on his face. Right now I've been doing whatever this guy says for three months. Right. I've been making him look good all this time. So he likes me. Right. So, and I, I don't ever tell these guys the bad news. I only give them the good news. I'm like, we're hitting our drops. We're delivering our shit. Why do they need that? Why do they need to know our dirty laundry? Right. So, uh, he loves me. So he walks up to me. <laughs> He looks right at me and he goes, so I heard you guys were doing your Thunderbird arrival today. And I was like, oh, son of a bitch. I go, well, sir, yeah, yeah, I think I took care of it, sir. He's like, okay. He goes, the general wants to talk to you, but uh, not till, not till after the meeting. I'm like, okay. So he starts the meeting. The whole thing only lasts like 25 minutes. And the guy down at the end of the, at, at the end, he is a, the strike Eagle guy. He gets up, he briefs his slide, you know, it takes a minute. He sits down. The F-16 guy gets up. He briefs his slide. I sit down. I get up. I brief my slide, which consists of what we did today, what we did yesterday and what we're going to do tomorrow, you know, maintenance, maintenance issues. And do we, and do I have any personal issues? Nothing, nothing. It's clean. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, I got to wait for him to go, okay, you can sit down, but he's staring at me and I'm standing there in this room of like (laughs) 60 people. And he looks at me and he goes, Colonel Wilson, I need to talk to you after the meeting. Well, all sixty heads turn right at me, <laughs> and I'm like, "Stop
0: a bitch!" Like, did I forget my trousers? What and I, I sit right down,
2: now? and uh, the other guy stands up, gives a slide. He sits down, and he looks at me, and goes, "Dude, what did you do?" I'm like, eh, "I don't want to talk about it right now." So anyway, so the meeting's over. I go, and I I stand to his right, and I'm standing at attention. And he looks at me, and he goes, "Come over here and sit down next to me." And I go, "Yes, sir." And I sit down right right next to him. He goes. What the hell were you guys doing today? Is that normal for C130 operations? Now dude, I'm telling you we were like 4 feet apart in the wingtip, you know. I was we're as gonna, close
1: as you could get. Them. We're going to we're going to get back to that, but continue. Yeah,
2: and I'm like, oh, "Well, sir, uh normally we do uh for tactical reasons we 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 have used that maneuver in the past, and I am <laughs> lying through my fucking teeth, right?" The OG is sitting next to me. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, "Uh i don't want to you know i don't want to get fucking court-martialed so or i don't want to lose my wings so and he looks at me and he goes listen he goes fighter guys we come up initial a mile spread apart so one guy doesn't get hit and roll into the other guy and he goes we're rolling a break he looks at me he goes i don't ever want to see that again i'm like yes sir i'll take care of it he goes and i want you to discipline that those crews i'm like yes sir i'll take care of it <laughs> not knowing that i'm one of the fucking crews right
1: so you are the crew
2: I'm the crew. So I, I Why don't stand you just up. drop
0: and give them 20 right there. That's what exactly. I
2: wanted. <laughs> so I stand up. The OG walks me out. He goes, listen, I took care of it for you. It'd be fine. Don't worry about it. He goes, just tell those, tell those fucking bozos who did that. Don't ever do that again. I'm like, yes, <laughs> sir. No problem. So, <laughs> uh, so long story short, I go back to ops and the pull whole your clown place nose out of your pocket. <laughs> oh, no kidding. So the whole place is full. All the pilots are in there and I walk in, right. And it's quiet. And they're all looking at me at like, do what happened. I go nothing. It was awesome. (laughs) Nothing happened. So we had three weeks to go home and the night we're going to go home, the OG comes out and he says to me, "He's like, I really don't want you guys to go home. You did such a great job. You're a great guy. And by the way, the OG has now retired from the air force. He flies for, he flies for a airline down in the South. Right. So I say to him, as I'm getting on my airplane, I go, sir, do you remember that uh, formation thing we did a long time ago? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, I just wanted to let you know that I was number two in the airplane. And he looks at me and he smiles. He goes, you're a sneaky motherfucker,
0: Wilson.
2: (laughs) He goes, it was great working with you. And I got on the airplane and I flew to Georgia and then I flew, uh, you know, Georgia, the country and then I flew home. And uh, that was probably. Thank God, all those guys are
1: retired, so I'm probably in the clear. Oh, you're good. My, my okay.
2: retirement's safe.
1: So, so we we I, uh, we we need to clarify a few things, uh, okay, for our listeners because you know I know because I've got the tactical knowledge. So, uh, C-130 guys don't fly fingertip. They do not. No, we, they don't train to fly fingertip. Yep. Uh, in in the air, C-130 world, you're in formation when you're two thousand feet in trail. Yes. That's considered a formation flight. Yes, I I I am not shitting you. You can go out into uh, a a spread position, uh, but you know it was uh, that's not he was flying fingertip. So so the closest
2: normally uh, operationally for for the maps mission for the firefighting mission you can fly five hundred feet behind the lead because a lot of times when there's smoke and there's haze you got to get that close just to see where he's going and get a sense, but. (laughs) when you're flying finger there, I mean, there's no room for error. I think I remember sitting there and I'm looking at the, you know, both uh, number one and number two. And I think I squeezed the mic and said, whatever you do, do not slow down because all I'm going to do is run right into you. So, right. um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was me having a little too much fun for my position. And, uh, I was like, Hey dude, I don't fly much. I'm on, I want to have a good time. And, uh, anyway, it, it, in retrospect you know the ripe old age i am now it probably wasn't <laughs> probably wasn't the smartest idea in the world but uh you yeah, know it's fun
1: so hey d- during your uh, uh vacation periods in uh bogram did you ever have uh rocket attacks from, yes uh, from a guy rock <laughs>
2: <laughs> at seven <laughs> o'clock at night on um, uh the night the 10th anniversary of 9 11 we were there And I was sitting in my office, which was right behind the really big hangar at Bagram on the west side. Yeah. Um,
1: Mere feet from the flight line, by the way. Feet from the flight line, yeah. yeah.
2: I was standing there on the second floor, and I was talking to uh, my boss, the wing commander in California. And a missile, a Katusha rocket, had bounced off, had been launched, bounced off the floor in the hangar, which is literally like 40 yards away. It had gone under. A C-130 parked in there had bounced off, ricocheted, went through the back wall, and landed into the un or the the uh, uncompleted, incomplete uh, uh, concrete building right next to me and exploded. And uh, I remember talking to him. I go, uh, Paul, I gotta go. We're getting rocketed. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> and I, I grabbed my helmet, grabbed my flak vest, went down, got in the bunker, and I hung out there. And I texted my wife. Now, I have learned since then that uh it's really stupid if your wife asks you, so honey, what are you doing? You go, Well, we're getting rocketed right now, and I'm just talking to you on my iPhone while I'm sitting here in the bunker. That was <laughs> that's what we call situational awareness was low it, at that point. Becoming
0: enemy fire, honey. No big deal.
2: <laughs> yeah, what's big deal? It's fine. You want to FaceTime? <laughs> so yeah it's pretty yeah, I stupid watch you get shot honey it's pretty yeah. stupid so anyway that was a long uh, like uh, that was a long two months after that as she uh, as she proceeded to worry the whole time
1: i was I there had a, so i just had a flash uh, tr- you triggered a memory uh we uh, we m- my entire crew was in my little plywood hooch uh it was during the day, you know. We were flying at night. So it was during the day. This is in Bogram. And we were we were working our way through the Band of Brothers series. Oh, yeah. And so we were all in this in my little hooch. I had the hooch, computer hooch being
0: his living quarters, not something yeah. to drink. The B Hut. The B Hut. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of something
1: to drink, we all were drinking. And you know, uh, general order number wow. one in Afghanistan it was no alcohol. No drinking. No. We 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 had it. So we we yeah. were sitting in there, we were day drinking. And uh, it was the episode where they're all dug in in the art in the uh, was it argon Forest? Uh, yeah, at the Battle of the Bulge, it was the Battle of Bulge in the winter, and, yeah. And and there, and the more and the uh, artillery had just started, and so you know, the, the artillery was blowing up and the trees were splintering and the, they were all getting down, and suddenly there was a the the bee hut shook, you know, and, and we. <laughs> we all looked at each other because the ground shook and we looked at each other and we went, wow, that was pretty, that was pretty realistic. And then somebody went, wait a minute, I think there's, there's people screaming outside. So, <laughs> so we, we put the movie on pause and we walked out into the sunlight and people were running everywhere trying to find the bunkers, you know, and, and uh, you know, there'd been a rocket attack uh, uh, basically. And so what One of my guys went down and looked in the bunker. And there's a bunch of new guys that had been, only been there a few days. They're all in the bunker with big eyes. And what's going on? And he goes, well, there was a rocket attack. And he comes back and says, yeah, there was a rocket attack. And we all looked at each other and went, all right, all right, cool. And we went back in and hit play.
2: <laughs> it's amazing what you get used to. Yeah, right. It's amazing. You,
0: you thought you had a new surround sound system. but uh... <laughs> It was pretty realistic.
2: I remember laying in bed one day and it was, I had flown all night too. And it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and the uh and remember the uh the unexploded ordinance or whatever it was they were going to have a controlled detonation Yeah, they did and that. they always did it like way out in the pit somewhere way on the northeast corner there
1: yeah
2: and i remember the pa came over came over the voice that says Giant voice. there will be a controlled detonation in five minutes and then literally as soon as the pa went off you hear this boom <laughs> <laughs> and you're like Oh, that was really not five minutes was it yeah. and it was so loud that it shucked the beehive and i remember thinking right. i'm gonna die i'm gonna die sleeping fuck it i'm staying right here i'm not right. going outside Those, yeah your timing's a little off bro just the just <laughs> and and the things that you do on deployment to entertain yourself are uh are pretty funny we had a lot of really funny stuff occur, so uh give us one yeah i had a guy in my unit of flies for southwest we used to call him the uh uh, well, I can't actually say it, but we we used to call him the <laughs> the great Santini, but we 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 changed out Santini for his name. Okay, okay. Uh, and he was the kind of guy who would he would take a picture, you know, in his flight suit next to the airplane with a helmet, and he would have both of his arms sticking up in the air, you know, like this. And he would take it and he, as a joke, he would Fighter he would have an eight by ten portrait made with a frame, and he'd sign it, you know. To yeah. Bill, love the great. <laughs> The great, the great Santini. The great Santini. <laughs> he was really funny, and and he had some he had some fantastic lines. And so, anyway, so he he got this Arlie Ermy doll that you could push the button and it would say some of his favorite lines. So we used to have, remember, we used to have the little uh, the little two way radio walkie talkie kind of things for the cruise. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So you could alert would, each other. You
2: could alert him. Go. So yeah. I would alert him, and he would key the mic and play some Arlie Ermy. You know, so a saying. Like, some, you, saying ma- you maggots. I I am gonna rip it. <laughs> I'm gonna rip your head off. God damn it, Pile. I'm gonna cut your balls off so you can't it. and it at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning when you alert him, and he would say that when he would wake up, I would just be crying because it was just great entertainment. Oh, and uh awesome. he would he would actually he'd uh he'd call the command post and he'd play it on the command post. Like no. he'd be coming in to report uh, stuff and he wouldn't yeah. say it's call sign. He'd just play that Arlie Ermy saying over the radio. And he would be like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, he was He was pretty insane. So uh, I saw a right. couple guys steal a general truck once. Uh, they were driving down Disney Drive there on the main drive. Yeah. And uh, they wanted to go get coffee. And uh, general's the general's t- car was outside the base. A little
1: flag, they, uh, two-star yeah. flag flying the whole deal.
2: Oh yeah, and they, yeah. you know, they wanted to have premier parking and go to uh, Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf there on uh, Disney Drive. So. Go to the Green Bean or so, whatever it was called. Uh, Green, Green Bean, Green that Bean? was it. Green yeah, Bean? Green Bean. Yeah. I
1: forgot about that,
2: yeah. I oh, couldn't there, remember right? what it was called, but
1: that was that, was, uh, that was also entertaining. That's good times right there. Yes, sir. Boys will be boys. <laughs> well, thank you for all <laughs> that. That's uh, And by the way, thank you for your <laughs> service, Colonel. Uh, I appreciate
2: it. Uh, and you yours, uh, both of yours as well uh you know uh i think it was a lot of fun uh, there was also a lot of uh consternation when you get to pack up and leave your your child oh, yeah. my child is still sleeping on the floor in our bedroom 10 years later uh because <laughs> he doesn't he's he's afraid, <laughs> I'm afraid that i'm gonna go now. back to afghanistan i'm like oh no buddy i'm done I that's think, not gonna happen anymore i think a lot oh, of our oh, service
0: hey. and those memories are better in retrospect than they were i
2: at think time. i so, think they are yeah
1: now listen i you you have to tell uh i i you, i know i personally know one more story that you have okay so uh i'm gonna give you a little um i'm, I'm gonna pre preempt this story with uh, uh double l is a very accomplished photographer i mean he's actually very good uh he he does just these amazing portraits for guys retirement photos and he's flies all over the world and does uh Uh, pictures at air shows and he's actually uh has uh, articles and photos in uh, several aviation magazines so i'm I'm tooting his horn for him because he won't toot his own horn. (laughs) but but what i'm getting at is um he had made a photo uh uh, so his guard unit uh, is the channel island guard and he did a photo of there was a was it what do you got? Half a dozen female pilots or four female pilots? Uh, we, we, we had four at the time, yeah. Okay, so describe this, because fo- I've seen the photo. It's amazing, and and I and what you're going to have to do is give it to repeat so we can put it on our uh, put it on okay. The podcast. Okay, I, I will, uh, so descri- I'll email describe. it to you
2: after this, and then you guys can put it on it. Yeah, so tell, tell us that story. So, Okay, so a little bit of background. So uh, if anybody remembers, and they, if they don't, they can, uh, they can go to Google or they can go to YouTube, and they can Google the – I don't remember – it was one of the Roger Moore James Bond movies.
1: Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And
2: the and the poster was a pair of long legs, right? With Roger Moore pointing the gun between the legs. So all you see on the outside is just the legs of this woman in high heels with Roger Moore. And this happened back in the 80s. And I think it was probably maybe 79, 80, 81, right around there. Well, back then, all the women at the guard, who, by the way, were uh how do I describe the fact that they were a lot of fun, right? So uh, they, they didn't, they didn't. They were a it. lot they, of fun. I they, think they, you, they, just, you hit the were, nail on the head. They, they, uh, they were, they were very uh, open to doing a lot of stuff and they're all, fan- they're all, these are all fantastic. I mean, and we're talking about like, you know, the, the, at the time they were, uh, they worked in current ops or they worked in airfield management, or they worked in, in administrative of somewhere in the unit. None of them were, they didn't have any female pilots at this point in the, in the early eighties. So they had this idea that what they would do is go down to the Hollywood sign, since we were only about 40 miles from there. And they would basically all stand together in a row. And they would take a picture with the Hollywood sign underneath their legs, with their legs on the side of the thing, like a group of six of them, right? Well, back then there was no such thing as Photoshop and the guy who was uh, in charge of the audio, visual, multimedia, whatever you want to call it in the, in the wing building, he was the guy that took the picture and he, they all went down there on a Friday, of course, you know, they all went for Mexican food or whatever. And they all got, they all had a couple of margaritas and they went up to, they went up to the Hollywood sign and they took this picture and then it became famous throughout the unit. Everybody wanted a copy of, and it was in black and white. Fast forward to 2000 and I got to look back when I did it, maybe 2010, 2009, there are four female pilots in my unit and they're all, uh, they're all a lot of fun and they're all, you know, they, they can take a joke as well as they can, they can, they can give it as well as they can get it. Right. So one of them comes to, two of them come to me and they say, we want to redo this picture like, uh, you know. At the time, I think I was the OSF commander or something like that. And all I can see is the, the, my, the end of my career flashing in front of my eyes as this idea is present to me. I'm going to jail. And they said, no, no, no. So all we want you to do is do the picture. I'm like, okay. So um, they, she, one of the pilots and and she's now retired, the, the, the lead one, she's a captain at American. Um, I won't say her name, but she, she flies for American and um uh, sh- her idea was to do it. So they all collected high heels. They all got fishnet stockings. We spent four hours in the room, uh, in the multimedia room in a closed door on a white, seamless background so that I could merge them in with these girls, all, all pressed up against each other. So I could get the legs perfect. And I laid down on my belly and I shot this picture up angled so I could get the pictures like you're laying on the ground. Then what I did was I took the, I went out to the runway at Point Magoo and I stood in the back of a pickup truck after getting permission from the tower. because you know, military base is not, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of dead time. I took a picture of the runway. And then uh, one week later, I went down to the Hollywood sign and I took a picture of the Hollywood sign from, from Hollywood Lake park there. And then I, and then on top of the Hollywood sign is a, is a mountain called Mount Lee. And that's where all these antennas sit and all those antennas are for the police and fire department for the city and county of Los Angeles. So I took all those antennas out in Photoshop. I added some clouds. I put in the runway. I made it look like the runway went right into Mount Lee. And then I put the girls uh, Photoshop in their fishnet stockings like they were standing on the runway.
1: Now it's an awesome picture.
2: My wife's probably going to hear this, but this picture has been out for a long time. So I'm going to say it anyway. I don't really care. So I'm laying on the floor and I'm shooting this picture and there's no skirt short enough to make this look like they're wearing short skirts. Cause you know, Hollywood's all full of, full of fake stuff anyway. So I need to come up with a way to make it look like I can really see all of their legs almost up to the point where the bottom of their butts are showing right. And still make this look good. So They all get basically black fabric and they all just wrap it around them really tight. Well, the perspective that you see as you lay on the ground and look straight up is I can see there's no secrets. Now I can see everything as I'm laying there shooting this picture, thinking I'm never going to say a word about this as I'm talking about this on this podcast. So I'm like, no, I'm never going to tell him. I'm never going to tell him. And I shoot, I don't know, a couple hundred frames. Right. And, and, uh, and my wife loved the idea and, um, I came home and I found a friend of mine who was better at Photoshop than me. And he put it all, to, he put my idea together for me. I have accentuated it since then, but, uh, and then we made posters out and we put it all over the unit and the girls loved it. They signed them. They all have their own posters or they and they, all these women are now since retired from the military. They're all gone. Right. And, um, uh, there was a little bit of, pho- you know, none of us are perfect. So there was a little bit of Photoshop that was required, uh, but that's fine. But they were all pretty good. And uh, I've since subsequently made stickers uh, and we're going to sell them on the website. And so anyway, we put this, uh, we put one of the big, huge pictures uh, in the heritage room slash bar in our squadron. And our jag came in and said, you guys can't put that up there. You got to take it down. So lawyers, we put it in the men's room.
1: So, you know, what man know. is going to complain about that? Right. So right. Can, can you
0: send a picture of that to repeat? I will. Yeah. As
2: soon as I get the email, I'll send it right to you. Yeah. That's awesome. a
0: great picture. You know yeah. what they say about lawyers? 99% of them ruin it for the rest. Oh, they
1: do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's that's That was, uh,
2: uh that so turned awesome. out great. We had, we had a couple of Oktoberfest parties and that's kind of what triggered it. And, uh, and the girls loved it. I think they all have their own version of it. And, uh, I mean, is sometimes it's, some girls have really, really big posters and they're all married. Um, so their husbands, uh, I, I ran into one of the guys who flies for another airline. I ran into him in an airport. He goes, man, can you send me that picture? I want to blow it up really big and put it in our bathroom. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think his wife is like the third one, third set of legs in there. So, nice.
0: um, the, uh... Yeah. For, if and for, for those wondering, so some of you already know it, but for those wondering, that was the for your eyes only. Was that? Ah, oh, look Is at you! Is that what of us? Oh, look at look you! Look at
1: you! See, so yes. If there was
0: only a way to look stuff up, <laughs> if there only was.
2: <laughs> wow. Well, thank you. I'm we definitely going to send you send you that picture. I think you guys will love it.
0: Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Maybe a show oh, yeah.
2: title in there. I don't. <clears know. throat> I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm not so sure of the. The corporations that uh that we all work for now would appreciate that but i
0: don't uh but
1: we don't care we, because nobody knows I don't care. Well. we haven't yeah. mentioned them
0: so they can't exactly. they can't be angry you know So they can't be so angry yeah. it out so anyway. all right well we're a little uh right up on an hour here so i'm going to wind up uh closing the show out first of all i want to thank you double l for your service yeah uh, double l i appreciate it guys i had a
2: it's a an lot of fun career. trying to remember all these uh remember all these <laughs> stories
0: right you know a lot of fun. Uh, well that's the beauty of getting back together with uh with aviators and uh shoot shooting the crap and getting a chance to go over this stuff and, and immerse yourself in it again. It's it's been a blast for us to to have you and and
2: uh, Hey uh quick question. Do you guys have yeah. a uh do you get you guys have a Facebook account or a blog uh both well, yeah, so I, I'm like about
0: to actually announce that here. So um yeah, I'll get into that and uh we'll go at it uh, right now here. So So I guess in wrapping it up today, I want to say thank you more than anything else to all of you who are listening and sharing this show with your friends. There's a lot of shows out there competing for your time, and we know your time is valuable. And we are so honored that you are spending time with us when you could be listening to other nonsense, frankly. (laughs) so uh, We do want to say uh, please feel free to reach out to us. If you want to reach our guest today, we can always forward an email get you in touch with them. We've actually had a couple reunions over the course of the first 20 shows or so. Oh, I remember that guy. You know, we were, we worked together at the FBI, that sort of thing. So more than happy to put you back in touch with an old friend. Just write to us. You can reach Fig at sothereiwas.us or me at repeat at sothereiwas.us repeat spelled R-E-P-E-T-E. You can follow us on Facebook at sothereiwas.us slash Facebook You can follow us on Twitter at sothereiwas.us slash Twitter. Also, I'd like to take just a moment and say thank you to the sponsor of this show, Robin's Bird Brain Designs. You can get a custom slate coaster. In my case, I have airplane instruments with my tail number on the coaster. Fig has some nice ones coming his way with his call sign and the VMA 223 Squadron logo, the Boxing Bulldog with Angel's Wings run by another another than Walt Disney himself if you like a custom set of slate coasters with either your tail number or your call sign and your military unit reach out to robinsbirdbraindesigns.com and Robin will work with you to get exactly the design that you want and the text that you want on your custom coasters they are super classy and a thoughtful gift for the aviator Who has everything or anyone for that matter who has everything and it shows that you put a little bit of thought and effort into something nice and different for your holiday shopping with that in mind everybody thank you again for taking the time with us today we've had an absolute blast bringing this show to you and we appreciate you supporting the sponsor who helps us do that in the meantime take care stay safe and check six I hate to fly, and whenever I fly, I never hear nice flight, smooth flight. Every time I fly, I
1: live in a world of fog and air pockets.